0: Captain!
1: Signature's detected!
0: Shields up! Signature's detected! Context, South Command. What's happening? C- Context, South Command. Delay that order. Context, South Command. This is the captain! Context, South Command. Get out of my chair! Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons.
2: Klingons. Welcome to-, <laughs> to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. Today, I am your host, Ben Harrison.
1: I'm ensconced on your little sofa. Next to the host desk, I'm Adam Pranica.
2: Seat height's subtly lower than mine to kind of give the audience an idea of who's in charge.
1: Yeah, I don't think that that's really necessary around here. I think everyone knows who's in charge and that's you. And I'm glad you are because I am dragon ass, man. You're bushed. Why are you so tired, man? Have have you had puppy waking you up issues? I absolutely have. We did that thing where we had things with the puppy pretty well grooved for a couple of weeks. Like uh, sleeping through the night, eating at the right time, pooping in the right places, and so forth. (laughs) And then we decided to take her up to Seattle with us on an airplane uh, and live in a different place for a period of days. And then we came back down to L.A., and then spent a weekend away from home for my wife's birthday, scrambling my puppy's brains completely.
2: The Etch-A-Sketch of her mind was shaken. <laughs> yeah.
1: But here's what I'm doing, Ben. You gave me, I don't know if you know this, you gave mm. me the best advice, maybe, Whoa. I, I've ever gotten in my life. Like, of any kind? You given me and the friends of DeSoto great advice over the years.
2: I don't think of myself as the wisdom-imparting kind of person.
1: In this case, I will say that that was the truth. When I had the occasion to take a red-eye out to New York about a month ago, uh, we were both lamenting what a stupid decision that was. (laughs) And when we got there, I was like, oh, my God, it's as bad as we thought it would be. Like, I, I didn't sleep at all. And you said, you do not need to have any shame about drinking coffee all day. (laughs) <laughs> Every day you're out in New York, drink coffee all day, all day, and then go to bed. Yeah, that's what New York is for. And that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> I'm I'm waking up three times a night to take a confused puppy out to maybe, yeah. maybe piss and shit, but probably not. Yeah. And in the daytime hours, I'm drinking coffee all day. Yeah. All day. That's what I'm doing. And it's really helping.
2: I am also super tired. I don't know why. I've been more tired today than I have been in a long time. I've had like four cold brews.
1: Wow. I think this is going to be a great show. We are both super caffeinated. Yeah. And those can often uh, make the silliest steps Ben, you've, you've put a lot of pressure on me as we get into a fairly significant episode in... Star Trek Discovery's run, uh, a surprisingly significant moment here toward the end of Star Trek Discovery, Season 4, Episode 4, All is Possible. Directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Well, we finally get an answer to a question you asked in the last episode, Ben, which is, where is Discovery? Yeah. The answer... Orbiting Navarre.
2: We spent so much time bellyaching in the last episode Mm -hmm. about there's never an establishing shot. There's never a captain's log anymore. This episode opens with an establishing shot and a captain's log.
1: I think the Paramount Plus app has, like, I think I clicked to approve something where it's now listening to our shows and and asked and answered is what we got here.
2: Yeah. Captain Burnham says... It's It's been been one week since we caught that (laughs) nun. And uh, they've been at Navarre the entire time. Stuff is not all as like back to normal as you might have thought at the end of the last episode also. Book still didn't seem like completely shattered at the end of the last episode. It's just that he's less shattered.
1: I can't imagine an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation beginning with Picard going, We're in orbit of Farkas 3 (laughs) and the crew is very sad. Very, very sad. I've suggested surely for them. Yeah, yeah. And yet, people remain very, very sad. People are slumping
2: around the ship, (laughs) looking off into the middle distance, asking why. And I don't have answers for them. I
1: wonder if the captain's log is ever used for for workplace review purposes. Mm-hmm. Because I clearly remember when I was working in an office, how careful I needed to be about my sort of self-review part of that thing, right? Like, uh-huh. it's that thing where, like, the last interview question is, like, what is your weakness and and your weakness is working too hard. Like, that kind of shit. You want to <laughs> kind of, like, ride that knife's edge of... Self-awareness, but not the kind of self-awareness that makes you seem like a problem for other people. What would you say you do
0: here? Well, look, I already told you. I deal with the goddamn customers so the engineers don't have to.
1: Right, right. But I'm hearing Burnham here in this captain's log be like, you know, I can't really figure out why everyone's so sad around me all the time. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I just keep trying new things, and hopefully they'll snap out of this funk.
2: I mean, uh, Saru showed everybody a movie, so I might try that, (laughs) see if we can get some of those uh, popcorn buckets made by the art department. They sold the last ones at auction.
1: I'm pretty sure everyone's pretty scared about the idea of a self-aware computer just running things in the background (laughs) instead of their captain. Yeah. Maybe that's it.
2: Tilly's still feeling the ennui and Stamets still just mathing his ass off on the, uh, what is it, the DMZ?
0: (laughs) <laughs>
1: come on. DMA uh, 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 Cause if I wanna uh, I got it, come again, it. it, it's damaged uh, it's with it, it's uh, crashing the moon from uh, the planets, uh, baby! Birds uh, have uh, died! What does uh, this want? Uh, uh, uh,
0: what does this thing want? Uh, DMA
2: uh, uh, <laughs> Where the disc, where the disc, where the disco at. <laughs> yeah. So we get some setups here. Saru meets up with the captain and is telling her about a request that the president has made of them. It turns out Admiral tells you about a kind of whiskey he likes that you can't afford, even <laughs> though you didn't ask him to, has come down with a tapeworm. So Michael Diplomacy Burnham and Mr. Calm under pressure, Saru are going to take his place.
1: I really feel bad about this shot that I called in the last episode, which was basically like, use the Admiral or lose him. And now it's that moment in his career where he starts calling out sick for specious reasons. Like, like right. this guy's never sick. Now I was talking about like weird stomach worms, you expect him to give us two weeks and then use those two weeks on his sick time so you never see him again. Right, right. That's what I'm expecting here.
2: Man, the fucking worm also just sounds
1: so ass. Yeah, I mean, a 24-hour gestation period suggests a extremely fast-growing worm, right? Accepted medical guidance is to allow the worm to gestate before extraction. Mm. How long will that take? 24 hours.
2: <gasps> ugh, ugh, missed me with that. Yeah. We get, like, a, a catch-up with Tilly and Culber on the Tilly Ennui question, and... You know, she talks about like she joined Starfleet as a fuck you to her mom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Seems like I feel like a good 50 percent of all people that we've ever seen depicted in Starfleet joined Starfleet as a fuck you to their parents.
1: Yeah. And and Culber's like, you know, uh, if you can't pip, teach (laughs) is maybe the lesson of your career right now.
2: Yeah, so Tilly's going to uh, do some some teaching with the academy class, using her shore leave time as an excuse to go do it and not help Stamets with his math problems, and she's taking Adira with her.
1: I want to put a pin in this scene because at this moment in time, I was like, this is insane why Kovic would ever want Tilly and Adira to do anything having to do with the training up of new cadets we get an answer to that question approximately 50 minutes from now (laughs) in a order of operations question that like I kind of wish that happened up front
2: yeah because we get the two scenes with Kovic that they clearly shot on the same day in the same room yeah And you could have even just edited the dialogue from that part of that scene up to the the front of the episode to satisfy that question if you wanted to.
1: There's an interesting conflict here between Adira and Tilly in that Tilly is feeling feelings about maybe not being the right choice for this kind of task and Adira feeling overqualified for what's happening. Feeling a little condescended
2: to yeah. being asked to go on, like, teen leadership retreats when Adira is a fully pipped ensign.
1: Yeah, I mean, Adira was Starfleet youth, like, <laughs> oh, a God. season and a half ago, you know? And now they're going back to teach the younger.
2: Mildly insulting. Grey is just always so upbeat about this stuff. And I kind of feel like Grey is mostly just, like, get off the ship so I can experience... A fraction of independence for the first time in like a year I don't know
1: what it is about these performances or the way the visual language is being spoken here but I was a thousand percent with you on this it feels like Adira is like the dog that caught the car (laughs) like i'm sure everyone who has like dated for a while and then the dating falls over into serious relationship where you're living with a person right and there's that moment of clarity where you're like i might never have the place to myself again like ever (laughs) and there's there's something about the contrast between like adira's resting personality and gray's resting personality that that projects a tension here that that maybe none exists, but that you and I are projecting onto. I think also, uh, like, it may
2: have been, like, lockdown brain that was influencing my thinking about this, where it was mm-hmm. like, I'm thinking about them as having been cooped up with each other, which, you know, even if you love the person, a million percent sometimes you want a boys night and I think that that's what Grey wants is just hey I want to go like play games with the crew and not have to like be an invisible sidekick to you
1: I really want to check
2: out the crew games they're planning
0: in the forward lounge
1: yeah that part of it rules if anything I could use more of that from Grey like Grey scenes without Adira yeah because we get plenty of Adira scenes without Grey
2: Right. We unfortunately don't get any more Grey in this episode, but I'm looking forward to that. And it was, I feel like Grey has like a totally different energy in this scene than he has previously. Like the last, I feel like 300 episodes with Grey have been like a very specific emotional energy and uh-huh. now it's different. And I didn't expect that from this actor. because I'm
1: chalking it up to some long hair energy. I think that's what's happening yeah. here. I think we're we're like yeah. center of the back length right now. Hey Culber, did you uh, like leave the laser zone when when it got to the hair? He has access to the
2: golem controls that the data used to grow that beard that one time. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: So, with Gray on his way to throw darts in the Marriott lobby or whatever, (laughs) Adira and Tilly are freed up to meet with Kovic. A Kovic who tells Tilly exactly how broken these new cadets are, given their experience up till now. We've
2: got a galaxy full of socially anxious people. Yeah. Who, uh, I've never met people that aren't of their kind for the most part. These are the best and brightest from their planets, and we, we cut over to the group of cadets, and we've got an Orion, a Tellarite, and a human, and Adira is going to go join with them on the training mission. But it is like awkward
1: waiting room <laughs> level of joviality between them. I really like, you know, en route to the planet, they're headed toward... Like, the energy that Tilly chooses to bring to it is like the, the bubbly kindergarten teacher energy right like substitute kindergarten teacher almost
2: i mean it's new worlds new things like hey what's that is that a new life form
0: what
1: and i really (laughs) like the choice of just getting the code wrong Mm -hmm. with how she needs to be but i know we've all been in this kind of room with this sort of person who sees social awkwardness as a challenge right instead of a resting state (laughs) <laughs> and, and Tilly is in there to, to stir the pot. And so we're playing those workplace games where you introduce yourself, where you're from, and an interesting fact about you. Right. And no one is interested in this. Come on, guys. Two truths and a lie. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't get to sit in this moment too long before a banger gets dropped. And this shuttle they're on is spinning toward the surface.
2: Yeah, the banger is big and the storm shutters go down on the windows so we don't even see where we're going. The human of the uh, cadets is advocating for jumping in and helping out the pilot, which Tilly puts the kibosh on really quickly. I thought that there was going to be more significance to that. Yeah, I thought so too. But yeah, we cut to the wide shot as their shuttle tumbles toward the planet's surface and that's our break into the title sequence.
1: When they come to, everyone has hit the deck, like, like so many bowling pins. Yeah. And a helmsman that we barely knew, Lieutenant Callan, uh, has got one of those gaping chest wounds that looks not survivable. And yeah. about the moment we think about how survivable this wound is, wasted. it.
2: He uh, joins the dead pilot society, if you will. Now,
1: who's next? Oh, Jay, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see this? Yeah. <laughs> Tilly was trying to uh, use a tricorder on him. and <laughs> I thought this would destroy Tilly, but I think what we're learning is that Tilly's capacity for in front of her death yeah. is growing. She gets to do the eye thing with this, with this dead, mm-hmm. like with her eyelids. Yeah. And that's something that she didn't have the opportunity to do with the guy who got crushed under a cargo bay thing right. in that first episode. And I'm I'm wondering, Ben, when you do the eye thing to a dead, is that what closure is?
2: Hmm. <laughs> Dan Savage always says closure is something we give ourselves. So I think that that would only be closure if the dead guy reached up and closed his own eyelids.
1: We didn't see the shot reverse shot of Tilly closing the dead's eyes and then with her other hand closing her own (laughs) eyes. (laughs) Or grabbing his hand and doing it to him with it. Uh, uh, This is not the only scary moment. Of this scene also pretty terrifying is wrong moon who dis
2: <laughs> yeah and the orion guy is like this is like a kobayashi maru thing right yeah he's like computer
1: and program computer and program arch arch <laughs> arch arch <laughs> Tilly is
2: like hey listen i don't know if i was sent on a training mission with you guys but if i am in fact supposed to be the instructor they didn't tell me about this i think we're actually here <laughs>
1: And because we're going to rule of threes this awful situation, uh, this is also the moment where the Tuskman and the Orion with my old haircut start getting into a fight uh, just in front of everyone. Not a great moment for all involved.
2: Some deeply entrenched interspecies resentment between these two.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We try to do the introductions thing again. Tilly is not reading the room, though. (laughs) What are you doing? Oh, good. (laughs) We are, I mean, and finally, I guess we're concerned because not only is it the wrong moon, it is a less inhabitable place than what they were expecting. It looks like a holiday-themed Budweiser commercial out the window. Yeah,
2: L-class is code for
1: less inhabitable. (laughs) And the Armstrong, that ship they were expecting to meet up with, uh, isn't going to even be looking for them for another six hours. So we got a lot of compounding issues happening here.
2: We do, and we don't get to resolve any of them just yet because we cut to
1: That's the, the thing about st- compounding issues, Ben. You start them early in the episode. Right, yeah. They can fully mature by the third act. Doesn't matter how many issues you
2: have, it's how early you start having them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's been true in my life, Adam. <laughs> mm. Yeah, preach. We cut to the capital city on Navarre. I wish we knew the name of this city. Yeah.
1: Hey, uh, could we get one of those lower third or upper third planetary subtitles that Star Trek used to do really well? That would be great. I miss those. I miss it too.
2: This is the big diplomatic summit. It's supposed to just be kind of a formality, right? Or rubber stamping the mm-hmm. re entry of Navarre into the Federation. Saru and Burnham just there to kind of show the flag look official while uh, all the ink dries on the page
1: this is supposed to be a cake assignment you go there you get your uh, your tea and your hors d'oeuvres
2: right you relish in your body a little bit
1: yeah totally and then you're out of there we are to and i quote remain silent and look official nothing more
2: Yeah. Unfortunately, not exactly the rubber stamping event that they were told it would be. The
1: Navarre clearly insulted that the Linus people have joined the Federation before they have.
2: (laughs) They say, uh, you know, we do want to have a seat at the table, but we want it to be an ejector seat.
1: (laughs) Right. Interesting time for Trina to bring this up. Uh, But I also thought in this moment, isn't everyone allowed to leave the Federation for whatever reason? Like, why why would this be an ironclad arrangement between the Federation and any member? Do you pay dues? Is it like a union?
2: Yeah, and like the president is like... That's kind of the point. Like you guys left before and we're just getting you back in. Yeah. And I guess I guess like I think it's interesting actually, because like the presence of a clause specifically stipulating that is sort of an invitation to do it at the first sign of a of a difference of opinion.
1: And it's a bad look in front of the other member species, though too, I bet. Like they're yeah. looking at this clause going like, well, I didn't get a clause. Why don't these pointy ears fucks get special treatment? Exactly. Then all of a sudden everyone wants a clause. Right. and you don't have a federation anymore. <laughs> this is what President Rillick is seeing in this moment and she plays fucking hardball. Yeah, she, uh, she says, no deal.
2: And uh, they propose like a break. Let's cool off. Let's have a cooling down period. Let everyone collect their thoughts. And Burnham gives Saru an order. Go figure out what the fuck is going on with uh, President Trina. Because this was a huge surprise to everyone.
1: So they kind of split up, right? Saru and Trina split into their half of the conversation. And that frees up Burnham and Rillick to have their post bombshell conversation on their own.
2: Yeah, kind of an interesting relationship developing between Burnham and Willick, don't you think?
1: It's not as interesting to me as Saru and Trina's relationship, which, which I am fully shipping at this point. <laughs> yeah. By the end of this episode, I am like, get together, you two. Yeah, get a room. <laughs> get a room, kneel on some, on some cushions, start touching hands. Speaking of people who have gotten a room, Culber and Book working
2: through books, grief. Culber, <laughs> Culber kind of makes the therapy session about him. Yeah, here he's like, "Hey, here's a really weird funeral service that I participated in for my uncle, Uncle Cesar, who loved gambling." I guess this is the kind of funeral we'll have to throw for you, Adam. Right? Yeah, your, I mean, your even- dead body will be posed with a. a f- <laughs>
1: <laughs> royal flush in your hand yeah that's that's what i'd like more than anything is is for my body to be embalmed and then frozen and pose for everyone to interact with yeah. I, I
2: just picture doing that and your wife going what the fuck are you doing and i'm like he wanted this he said this to me on an episode of the greatest
1: discovery one time <laughs> Why are his hands shaped in like cylinder grabbing <laughs> forms and not like card holding forms? <laughs> I was listening to a John Gabris podcast episode lately where he was commiserating with another funny person about how when they go to therapy, they're trying to do bits on the therapist. All I do is bits, bits, bits. No <laughs> <laughs> because that's just like a compulsion as an entertainer. Right. You're there to like do the work, but also like, can you get some laughs? Oh, yeah. Is the thing. And I wonder <laughs> how much of that was in play, like how much of that book felt in this scene? Like book, very interesting person, has been through some shit, and yet not interesting enough to keep Culber <laughs> from telling a totally bizarre story <laughs> of, uh, of body desecration of a family yeah. member.
2: Here's how I did grief one time. Weird, huh?
1: In conventional therapy, I'm not supposed to share personal things. <laughs> Back on Navarre, uh, Saru has hit up Trina, but not in private, which I thought was strange. Like, he just walks right up to her yeah. in the middle of the, of the chamber And Saru can count the reasons on his hands that Navarre and the Federation would be a good match. And, oh, he shouldn't have put it that way.
2: (laughs) She's like, hey, can you uh, lower your
1: hands out of frame, please? Maybe you could count those digits behind your back. (laughs) Trina's like, I appreciate your enthusiasm. I don't appreciate seeing those fingers. I am going to go meditate that awful image out of my mind. Yeah. It sure seems like she's hiding something. And I think by the end, that is not revealed to be true. But everything about Trina's personality and dialogue here indicates to me that, like, this is intentional. Yeah. She yeah. doesn't want this. I still maintain that that the Navarre, are the cause of the <laughs> of the double black hole situation. It's their bad thing. Yeah.
2: Does Trina know yet? Or is she, like, suspecting and...
1: Yeah, I mean maybe she's just an instrument of the Navarre government at this point. Yeah. I don't know. But when she leaves this scene, it's just another data point in this long list of weird behaviors that have her a suspect to me.
2: The moment that Rillick like walks out and Burnham is like, oh shit, we're on like a Star Trek adventure. <clears throat> like our our mission is find out what the fuck is going on because this was supposed to go great, it's going badly, and this is like, there is a secret at play here, and we need to find it out.
1: There's a fun element to the beaming technology in Star Trek Discovery that we've never been able to use before. Because like, when away team diplomacy goes bad, or has gone bad before, I feel like on DS9, Damn it. Voyager, Damn it. or TNG, Damn it. Yeah. Picard will be like, Alright, well, we're at loggerheads. <laughs> Picard to Enterprise, four to beam up and then like you sit in it and it's the five second beam away and that's it. Right. There is something about the flash beam that is like slamming the phone on the receiver when totally. when you're done with the scene and you just go click boom and you're out of there. <laughs> it's, it's aggressive in a yeah. way that beaming has never been before. Fuck you. I'm
2: not giving you shit. It, it's like a shot from a gun. It's yeah.
1: <laughs> and so when Rillig beams away after after not getting away here, it feels like double middles right. while beaming away.
2: It really does. On the icy moon, the uh, the cadets and, uh, and Tilly are not doing great, and they discover that they uh, are not alone on the surface here. There's a local beastie that wants to eat See, it's attracted to their shuttle because it they like hunts its prey based on electricity so they have
1: to turn everything off i love a colony species the the first time i ever heard of a colony species was on star trek discovery we've got a we've got tentacular spectacular happening out the window like it's everywhere it's thousands of little beings and they all have tentacles it's great
2: it's great. It's terrifying. I mean, it seems like it's going to get cold as hell if they turn off all the power in this thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, the worst part about this thing is that it eats their vitamins for fuel, right? Right. <laughs> like everything on this ship is presents as something that it would like to eat. So, if only there was some kind of insurance that you could get against a situation like this. <laughs> it's gonna. It's gonna become hoodie weather pretty fast in pretty short order. It really is. <laughs> I didn't know that there were hoods buried in these collars of these uniforms, so but we're about to find out that that's very we, much the case. We sure are.
2: Back in therapy, Book is, uh, he's like working on like, a, on like a mandala, right? Yeah. And he complains, hey, this isn't as good as the thing we do to grieve loss on, uh, on Quaishan. And this is when Culber starts kicking the hard truths. You are never going to get to do it the way they did it on Kweijong ever again. And the sooner you recognize that, the happier you're going to be.
1: Culber's like, I just got back from Ibiza, where <laughs> I just recently learned about Kwe Thum Lung Kwe. <laughs> when he says the lum quay, quay the lum I could yeah. not help but read that as a <laughs> what is that a Castilian yeah the lisp yeah the lisp is... <laughs> you could write it in a different way is what I'm saying
2: yeah yeah <laughs> It would have been funny if Book was like, no, sorry, you didn't pronounce that correctly, and it's better if you don't even try.
1: Where is the location of that uh, visitation? La Dirección de la Visitación de Concepción Zarzal. Yeah, yeah, that one. (laughs) I get this, like, I get Book's frustration here. He's like, programmable matter isn't like the dirt for my planet. And Culber's point is you got to get used to the idea of that dirt being gone forever you got to make your own dirt you got to be the dirt you want to see in the world right and it starts with making mandalas out of the stuff you have available
2: sooner rather than later would be good because pretending (laughs) like that's something that you can eventually get to do is uh, is a fantasy
1: hey Culber you know who probably did a terrible job making mandala your dead uncle with no thumbs
0: that (laughs) broken off fingers (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Book
1: just gets really personal and upset with Cobra about this.
2: <laughs> Kicks the sand in yeah. his face, <laughs> storms out of the room. <laughs> President Trina is in her meditation room and the doorbell rings. She says, "Enter to Saru." It doesn't seem like the only thing she wants him to enter.
1: Oh Adam. boy. Really? I mean, I was I was being a little bit chased with my shipping. Of Saru mm. and Trina now you think you think this is some sort mm. of uh, finger-blasting <laughs> situation I was going to be
2: chased at him, But then she replicated a pair of pillows that look like boobs Side-by-side <laughs> side for her and Saru to sit on
1: those are boob pillows. They are I've never used meditation furniture before when I meditate, but I, I take a look at these boob pillows They look very comfortable Get on Pottery Bar and order yourself a boob pillow. (laughs) I'm afraid my uh, search will be all fucked up after that. I'll start getting accommodator advertisements (laughs) henceforth. Yeah. Piece of furniture for every occasion. Yeah. Trina tells Saru that her people have got anomaly cold feet, and the exit clause is going to satisfy both the hardliners and the softliners at the same time.
2: Yeah. She's got a fragile coalition government Mm -hmm. that she is the head of. If the logic extremist Vulcans don't get some concessions, they're not going to continue to support her. And if they don't support her, the the whole thing is going to fall apart.
1: And that's a real (laughs) drag. I love how childlike Saru is in this scene. Having heard that bit of news, he does not go back to Michael Burnham with it. No, He instead sticks around to meditate. And when Saru's hands reach out, we realize just how strong of a stomach Trina has. (laughs) And I love how Trina fucking smashes Saru's balls here. (laughs) by going like yeah i suppose i could teach you how to do this uh there's a form of meditation that even a child could understand so i think (laughs) that's probably a good place to start
2: do you think she's like nagging him because like clearly she like sent him the tea because she's a little hot under the collar yeah for saru
1: you only get away with that look in star trek like it's such a late 90s movie, person sends another person a drink at a bar and then does the, like, imaginary cap doff <laughs> from across the place that Trina did to Saru moments ago. Yeah. No one does that. That's not a real life thing. It appears you have a fan, Saru.
2: I kind of wish it was. It, it seems like it would be fun. but
1: It does seem that way.
2: I'm too much of a coward to do it. Nobody's ever done it to me.
1: I'm only ever buying drinks for a random who is next to me, right in a bar situation. Like I can't remember doing that for someone across the bar where it's not like we've both been sitting at the bar for a while. We're chatting about <laughs> some bullshit. Hey, I'll pick up the next one. I get right. like that kind of vibe. That's something I've done before, but I've never like sent sent the torpedo drink. <laughs> you know downrange, and expected anything to happen
2: yeah are they supposed to come over to you and sit down with you is that the idea i mean if they don't i just don't know how i could deal with that kind of rejection that would have been so awkward in the like high-level diplomatic function that they were doing if saru had like picked up his cup of tea and like walked over and sat down at the vulcan table (laughs) they'd be like no 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 like this is not a a singles
1: bar what are you doing that's it's such a great point ben burnham and saru should not be good at this at this level they're out of their depth and and like saru should have should have like sotto voce to michael burnham like what do i
2: do now (laughs) like this this tea is kind of trash it's not good (laughs) do i have to finish it saru is like the 40 year old virgin michael (laughs) burnham is like such a hothead traditionally
1: this shouldn't be working
2: it should be working but uh we get a scene in the uh captain's ready room where uh hologram relic shows up and Burnham has a solution for her, really, because like getting ready to like literally fly back to Federation space in failure. And Michael Burnham is like, hey, I know that technically I work for you, but I am also sort of a third party at this table. What if I come with a proposal? You'll have to hear me out. You won't be betraying your coalition. She won't be betraying her coalition. This will just be this will just be people talking.
1: This has worked for time (laughs) Miriam <laughs> You get two positions or people that no one really likes. You bust out the third party. Yeah, it's a winning idea every time. Nothing bad happens running a third party.
2: Party over here, party over there. Put your hands in the air, shake your derriere.
1: <laughs> on the wrong moon, uh, the hoods are up. Yeah, and they've set out on foot. The effects on the wrong moon. I thought were amazing and scary. That red lightning is yeah. so cool to me, and the creature, the
2: pyrosome, great looking creature.
1: Yeah. yeah. What did you think this was when its tentacle first slapped the windshield? I thought I would know what it looked like, but yeah. what we get later on is so much scarier. What the hell
2: is that? Yeah, it kind of breaks the jaws law, which is like don't show it too much. Let
1: people's imaginations run wild. But showing it in the distance is kind of a version of that that really works.
2: Yeah, it it was great. It was it, it was very effective, and we see it like asexually reproduce in the distance. Yeah, that part was blurred
1: out on my TV. Oh yeah, I didn't enter my age into the Paramount Plus app, and you've got to uh, you've got to disable the V chip on that thing, man. Yeah. Yeah, it was just a bunch of fuzzy stuff on the screen when it split.
2: (laughs) Yeah, they tiled it out. Well, uh, it was gross, let me tell you. There's also apparently parasitic ice on this moon, like uh, they had in the first episode of last season. Yeah, that, that really
1: gets around, doesn't it? It does. What happened to the future where all the ice is parasitic? I don't know. Pretty angry ice. I don't like it at all. Ben, how would you like it if I served you a cocktail with a round piece of parasitic ice inside? Mm, you think that'd delicious. be delicious? <laughs> yeah. Maybe uh, wrap an orange peel around it.
2: Mm-hmm. Kind of so kinda, fancy.
1: Kind of drape that around. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. That's yeah. like uh, when you go to a restaurant and they serve you the poison fish, right? That's probably oh, yeah. something in this century people would really be into.
2: Yeah, like uh, it takes years to learn how to cut it just so.
0: There's got to be something I haven't tried, huh? Hey. Hey, what's this? Fugu! It is a bluefish, sir.
1: But I should warn you that one. One pal, Fugu me! You know, Ben, you got that parasitic pebble ice maker. You go to bed one night and you wake up and your entire kitchen's destroyed. (laughs) And it's coming for you?
2: Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. They gotta save Adira. It's kind of the quicksand effect, right? Like they yeah. have to throw a rope to Adira and pull them out of the
1: of the ice. I was. This is not a Star Trek solution to this problem, though. A fucking rope. Yeah, yeah. You should use your mini tractor beam.
2: You should, or. You know, hit it with the phaser, but that makes it so that the beasties kind of have, have right. your twenty and are closing in. That's the point, something. right?
1: The rope is not attractive to the beastie. Because, like, I think making the rope
2: also turns on an electronic, right? So, it sure, look that way. Yeah,
1: you can't you can't tell me a glowing rope doesn't have a power source. <laughs> in my experience, they do. <laughs> <laughs> if I've been uh, drinking something really weird. <laughs> I, I will get a glowing rope
2: right yeah if you've been pounding pineapple juice
1: <laughs> yeah the success of this moment is fairly short-lived because once adira uh, pops out of the ice it's just another opportunity to fight yeah. about the plan ahead and uh the tuskman just hates the orion right now it is open war between them
0: shows it would be easier if we
1: didn't have to count on an orion hey But uh, what the Tuskmen doesn't know is that this Orion's dad fought against the Emerald Chain's barbaric methods and was, in fact, a political prisoner and political casualty for all he did to fight their reign of terror, right? Yeah, to help the Tellarite
2: people and all the people that were terrorized by the Emerald Chain. And he hasn't been, he hasn't led with that. Uh, which is, you know, kind of an interesting choice on his part. He doesn't like walk up to people and introduce himself as like, hey, I'm an Orion, but not one of those types, you know.
1: <laughs> Barely didn't know this, and I don't I don't tell many people, but uh, my dad was uh, Narayan Mandela. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, it's a you know the point Tilly makes is like if you if you had just stopped and like actually tried to get to know each other, maybe, yeah, maybe you wouldn't be at each other's throats right now. They make peace. Everybody sort of realizes that some of their preconceptions were not fair to bring into this scenario. I mean, the Tellerite dude like legitimately got totally fucked over by the emerald chain so like
1: you know what's weird about the tellerite guy's story is he's like yeah you know the chain stole the the food that should have gone to my grandma and when she died we had to pose her body into a (laughs) into a shape of something she liked doing except the shape that that she preferred was like eating food that we didn't have it was like it was fucked up.
2: And then the emerald chain guys that stole the replicator smashed it,
1: and they said, we don't eat shit, and neither should you. And uh, what's weird is like they, they smashed the replicator into my grandma's dead hands, uh, shattering the thumbs off. <laughs> and then I had to bury the body, using the energy I had from eating the food that my parents gave to me. The last bit of shit food we had. <laughs>
2: Anyways, that's why I joined the Federation, because it's the only thing
1: I can eat anymore. As terrifying as that story was, our brief moment here out in the snow. Just wipe that clean. <laughs> Ready for a fresh start.
2: <laughs> the Etch-A-Sketch of my trauma has been <laughs> shaken.
1: If he's lucky enough to survive this mission, he's going to be very tired tomorrow. going to be tuckered out, little buddy. He's going to be tuskered out. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to FactorMeals.com/trek50 and use the code Trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code Trek50 at FactorMeals.com/trek50 to get 50% off.
2: Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in below the kilt care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, It works great. Uh, Trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with Their new Signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on?
0: Just one more week till max fun drive.
2: (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned
0: co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely.
2: Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content.
0: Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st.
2: Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh,
0: nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly, incredibly fascinating. Find us by searching for the word "secretly" in your podcast app and at maximumfun.org.
2: Back on Navarre, Michael Burnham's proposal is put before the uh, the parties. The proposal is basically like if there's like a citizen oversight commission that can. Mm-hmm. You know, independently assess whether members' claims of, like, being ready to leave are valid
1: or not. Fucking Michael Burnham. I have a great solution to this problem that, to no one's surprise, involves me. And an extra job title. (laughs) Don't you have enough to do, Michael? Mm. (laughs) now she's gonna get stuck going to these fucking committee meetings for the rest of the season i know she
2: should have negotiated for a raise as part of this but uh she is the only citizen of both navarre and the federation in existence right
1: you know who she should have delegated this
2: to lieutenant tribble
1: you're telling me (laughs) lieutenant tribble can't bring different minds together to come up to a solution
2: yeah that's a, Lieutenant Tribble can, can fill out every seat on the commission pretty quickly, actually.
1: <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, that's big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so back on the wrong moon, they've made it to the top of the mountain. This came as a surprise to me. They've, yeah. they've, they've scrabbled down the mountain they crashed on, walked across the icy tundra, back up to another mountain in the distance, and now they've got to beam out one at a time.
2: They've got to heat up their communications devices, which will draw the beasts back to them.
1: I got a special tingle here, Ben, did you? I thought for sure someone was going to die. And... The horror movie math dictates that somebody dies here. I can't tell you why I thought this. I thought they were going to kill Tilly here. You know, Adira comes up with the plan to distract. I'm going to turn on my comms, and I'm going to run. Draw its attention. It's a terrible idea. Tilly goes, no, I'm the... I'm the ranking officer, so it's got to be me. Yeah. I really thought Tilly would die here. And I have no And re- this would
2: be the second episode in a row where I'm bait. So yeah. it's kind of a role I'm used to playing.
1: <laughs> exactly. Unfair. Yeah. Unfair for Tilly.
2: That's interesting that that hit you then. I did not, uh, I was not smart enough to pick up on that.
1: Well, once um, they beam Tilly away, I'm like, oh, thank God she's going to be on the show forever. Like, uh, <laughs> really dodged that bullet. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I immediately went to the Star Trek sports book and made a sizable bet on the will Tilly remain on the show for the rest of season four. I was wondering why the Uxbridge
2: Shimoda bank account got that huge draw on it uh, yeah, this that's afternoon. Wild. That's why. Huh. Wow. I hope you hedged, Adam.
1: Yeah, I... I parlayed that with Adira and Gray being hit with another meteor. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, they uh, they make it out of there. Everybody gets beamed up by uh, Captain Imahara, and uh, they're back at Federation HQ talking to Kovic. Dilly does not seem super traumatized by this harrowing experience she's just had. And Kovic is like, hey, you know, you're, you did great. The leadership lessons that you taught these kids are actually kind of what we were going for here. Like, this wasn't the training mission we had planned, but it kind of worked out perfectly. Yeah.
1: You say Tilly hasn't been traumatized too bad, but this is the scene where Tilly, like, is looking deeply at Kovac's face, like, kind of not really listening to what he's saying. Yeah. And Tilly is like, so if you died, would I have to take off your glasses to push down your eyelids? <laughs> Or do I leave the glasses on and just kind of reach behind the lenses to push them down?
2: And he's like, these are actually transitions, so they'll just go dark when when the time is, comes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Kovac does that thing where uh, he doesn't believe he's going to get to hire the candidate he wants the most. He, uh, he makes her an offer. He's like, uh, yeah, you know what? This teacher's desk is waiting for you anytime you want it. Yeah. And... He gives his justification
2: for offering it, which is sort of the thing that we were talking about, wishing we had had going into this mission. Like, why why did he want her? And talks about the way the Discovery crew were received by the future people when they showed up as, like, walking around, believing in this.
1: This is the answer to the question of the first act, right? Like, where we're both like, why Tilly? Why Adira? Why now? This is that. It-
2: and they showed up walking around with this, like, multilateralist, like, trust people, like, assume positive intent attitude. And they were like, fuck you.
1: Yeah. I love how much puts this. Like, you guys really seem stupid to us. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know why we let you keep your ship.
2: Yeah. your, are obscenely naive past yeah. person uh, approach to the world.
1: Like, whatever the the 32nd century uh, version of a hayseed is, that's what you were.
0: Frankly, I'm I'm amazed any of you survived.
2: (laughs) It was antiquated, but it turned out to be the perfect thing. And I think you have a lot to offer cadets at the Academy because that's the kind of society we're trying to build and the kind of Starfleet we're trying to have. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I know that this is probably a no now, but the offer stands if you ever want it in the future.
1: It's a good moment because the group has bonded in a way that only tragedies can force. I mean, even Adira is happy for the experience. And there's a moment that Tilly takes the time to point out what an inspiration Adira has been to Tilly, even though like Adira's success on the mission was in spite of themselves, right? Like Adira didn't want to go on the mission. Adira didn't want to be a leader. Adira didn't want to do anything that Adira did
2: Adira wanted, like, a special status above the other cadets even, you know?
1: Right. And so their lesson was a little indirect, I would say, but it's still something that Tilly took a moment to point out here as being inspiring to Tilly.
2: I mean, they never, like, hang a lantern on it, but I think that suddenly this is about Adira having been a little bit codependent with Grey and finding a way to be an independent individual now that gray is not constantly invisibly around
1: could you have used a cutback to the marriott lobby and like gray's legs being pulled over from doing a keg stand like from having just done a keg stand and like like <laughs>
2: Gray is just like Mark Wahlberg at the beginning of Three Kings, yeah. like the fucking life of the party. Everybody totally idolizing Gray.
1: Gray fucking rules! Gray is, is Frank the Tank of, uh, of Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> yeah.
2: As the meeting on Navarre breaks up, uh, President Trina is like, Hey, I know you've uh, been really curious about what happened with Javini." She's off to a monastery to atone, and when the time is right, she will, uh, she will also atone to that, the families of the Starfleets that she killed. So don't you worry, your pretty little head, Michael Burnham. Justice has been served.
1: Welcome to the Gulag Santa Barbara. In this meditative Penal colony There are no walls There is no stockade Just a person Hitting a gong every once in a while You can leave at any time To break silence Means becoming ostracized And losing tea rations For one week Survival on the surface Is quite
2: easy because it's very Pleasant here (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah uh i man this is meant to make us think damn gabby burnham kicks ass giving it right back to giovanni like in terms of you know the character it takes to rehabilitate someone else who's rehabilitated you yeah that's what we're meant to feel but all i'm seeing is uh is Gabby Burnham being sentenced to the same prison as Giovanni, and, and Gabby Burnham didn't kill anyone. She didn't do anything wrong. That kind of sucks. I, I feel like, yeah, like she is like the,
2: almost like the Lwaxana of Discovery at this point, where she yeah. like gets to show up once a season and do something, but it it's never like a big long story arc.
1: In a situation like this, you absolutely have to interfere. Yeah. Do you get to and, keep your sword if you go to this prison?
2: <laughs> There's probably sword check on the way in, you know. Yeah. You get a yeah. you get like a, a key fob to put on your put in your pocket.
1: I hope we see her again because uh I like the moments where Gabby and Michael Burnham are together. I think something unexpected happens most times. They're in a scene together.
2: I do too. I hope that this isn't Sonia Sohn getting written off the show. Uh, that would be sad.
1: If it means Sonia Sohn getting her own show, uh, I'm willing to love her and let her go. Yeah. So yeah. that so that she can be free. <laughs>
2: Star Trek colon coat malat.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so President Rillick uh, compliments Michael Burnham on saving the day again, even though. Yeah it is revealed to have been some back-channel political bullshit that made the inciting incident happen to begin with.
2: Right. I thought this was a great scene of, like, Burnham not, like, losing her shit when the truth comes out. Like, she's like, here's what I suspect. And the president's like, yeah, you're right. Like, I I knew that this ejector seat twist was coming. You know, I needed to deal with it. And Burnham is like, listen, like, I, I'm really into this absolute candor thing. Now that my mom is in in the co-op Malat, if that's something you could do with me going forward, I would super appreciate it. I know that that's not always possible, but when possible, please do so.
1: Understood, Captain. I think you can help me answer this question, which is, is my discomfort with President Rillick because of her proximity to everyone else's professional affection for each other like absent that absent yeah. that professional affection that everyone on discovery has for everyone else would i feel the same way and as distrusting as i am of this president because i don't like her and i'm not sure if i'm supposed to like her at the end of this scene like it feels like in a neutral show this is a yeah. scene that ends with us going oh playing, like." back-channel, three-dimensional political chess. She's a tactician, but but she's ultimately good. But at the end of the scene, I don't feel that at all. I feel the same as I always have about Rillick, which is I don't necessarily like her, and I don't necessarily trust her, and I'm not sure if I'm supposed to.
2: I've been thinking a lot about this uh over these four episodes because when we went to the virtual premiere party i didn't get to see the second episode with the chat on but that first episode that we watched the second relic popped up on screen i watched that chat fill with people going like "Ooh, don't trust her and i had already seen that entire episode so i knew what was still coming like Mm -hmm. toward the end of the episode and i was like oh that's interesting like how much people are like primed to mistrust this type of character And I'm with you, like, there is still something about her that makes the spidey senses tingle. And I I wonder if that is just because she cues so much to a trope of a politician that is conniving that it's really hard to give that up, or if it's because she is that trope, you know?
1: This president reminds me a lot of Ritter from Clear and Present Danger, you know? (laughs) But the thing that made Ritter so interesting in that movie was that there was some panache and like flourish to what he was doing. I'm not going to be the only one left without a chair when the music stops. And there's something about this president that is just not even enjoying it on any level. And I think I could use a little more of that with her. Yeah. If there is a game behind the game, I think it's time to see some mustache twirling because it's been four episodes without any mustache twirling and now I'm starting to just wonder if there's any mustache at all or to save
2: the cat, right like the president doing something selfless and making a sacrifice for a good thing that we agree with like I yeah, that like she she seems to be like neither fish nor fowl right now.
1: This is a ten-episode season. It's time to get fisher foul with all of our characters. Is it ten or thirteen? Oh, I don't know. I I just assumed ten. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I fuck that up. <laughs> you know, memory alpha will tell us. Memory alpha knows the answers to everything.
2: Well, this scene also ends with uh, President Trina and Saru making a tea date. Trina's not thirsty just for tea, Adam.
1: We uh, we tilt the camera down to. Uh, to the, uh, to the pouring of some sweetener and Saru's finger going in to stir both of the cups.
2: <laughs> and then back up to Trina licking her lips. <laughs>
1: hey, check it out. Here's an update to that question. 13 episodes in season 13 four. 13 episodes. Wow. And it looks like- nine more. No break. Ben, we're going all the way to February 10th. Wow. Which is good. Good for us. Good for us. Great for us. I hope they keep giving us uh,
2: screeners. That's been a big help.
1: Really has been.
2: We get a a scene with Culber and Book. Book has finished his mandala and he's like, hey, so I kind of like bore my soul to you about like my my personal pain and grief. Uh, How about you now, Culber? And he's like, "Mm, I'm going to leave you with just the image of me breaking fingers off of my dead uncle's hand and uh, (laughs) not share anymore for now. (laughs) (laughs)
1: wasn't that one story sufficient book (laughs) I can't believe you want to know more about my history after that
2: book and uh, Ed Culber really connected here though and I feel like book is uh,
1: is uh, going to be you know on the mend from here on in lot of pain sharing this season, Ben, I could really use a a cyborg to get in there and absorb it, you know? Yeah, Yeah.
2: Well, we get a scene in the uh, bedroom that Michael Burnham and Sylvia Tilly have, uh, have shared since season one, Adam, and they talk a little bit about the early days of their friendship and getting to know each other, and Sylvia Tilly drops a nuclear bomb.
1: Yeah, she's there to pack up her shit. She has decided to take... The job that Kovach offered yeah we get to the end of this in a fairly circuitous way like Tilly talks about the familial expectations that were upon her but then
2: yeah every pip was supposed to be a fuck you to her mom and now that her mom has been dead for hundreds of years it's like why do we even need these pips
1: no one needs to make a dead person proud <laughs> <laughs> which is maybe like what, what the point of Culber's story was early, early on. Like, Oh, yeah, it's kind of a theme across the whole episode, isn't how it? How can I be embarrassed? Like, this <laughs> uncle's dead anyway. <laughs> so she's going to stay at Fed HQ.
2: Yeah. How much do you think we'll see of her in the rest of the season? Like, will she be a check-in every time they return?
1: I mean, knowing what we know about Mary Wiseman's career, I mean, Mary Wiseman's on her way to the stage. Like, she's got shit to do. So yeah. I, I wonder, just with what we know in real life, what her future is in that way. But this was a total bombshell. And Yeah, I did not see this coming at all. She gets a montage befitting a major cast character where everyone says goodbye except for Adira a person that Tilly has given a little discovery snow globe to yeah because to someone's mind that was as powerful as anything they could have said to each other i kind of want a dialogue here like if you if what we want to do is slap my heart around a little bit yeah. if this is a show <laughs> if this is a show that luxuriates in that kind of dialogue and then you choose not to give us any of that here i was blown away by that decision like where is where does your confidence truly lie
2: yeah yeah it was a really surprising decision i didn't think it was ineffective except for the adira and gray part of the montage because it doesn't seem like they interacted at all like yeah. there is the scene of the like tearful hugs goodbye
1: gray is also totally hammered by right. the, by the time yeah. he's back in the quarters and like barely holding it together <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Gray's like <laughs> chugging Pedialyte while Adira is trying to have a moment here. Adira is
2: shedding a single tear, looking out the window at Tilly's shuttle as it flies away, and
1: Gray is like dumping road vitamins into his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the look, like the the suggestion that they're looking at each other out opposing windows as Tilly takes off. Like that was, that was neat. Yeah. But, This is a show that is confident in its words, and to not give us the words that go along with a moment this significant maybe answers your question about whether or not Tilly will be back. Like Maybe by not giving us the words, it suggests that we will drop in there from time to time. I don't know. I hope so.
2: We speculated a little bit in episode one about if Bryce was being set up to get killed off or something, and- I wonder if that guy that was in Bryce's chair at the beginning of that ep is now going to be moved into the Tilly place cuz he was in he was in this episode he was like an extra in this episode.
1: I'm not ready to think about who's going to fill those shoes right now. Ben but I am I am ready to discuss whether or not you like the episode.
2: I did like the episode. It was not the episode I expected at this phase of the season and i think that that's one of the great strengths of discovery is that it it really like like even when it is following a kind of like huge season long arc it can throw in things like this that are just like what the fuck i did not <laughs> did not imagine that this is where we would be on episode 4 yeah and i thought uh i thought it was it was nicely drawn i thought it was really well acted really well directed and uh like combined fun adventures with fun Star Trek diplomacy. Like <laughs> for, for an episode that largely took place in meeting rooms, it also had lots of like running from monsters and shooting phasers and stuff. Right. A a fun balance to strike. How about yourself?
1: It's such a huge moment. And at the end of this episode, it made me kind of go back in my mind and replay how this crew has acted up until this moment, especially in the near term. Yeah. And you and I have said this before. Tilly is the conscience of this show. Yeah. And has been from season one, episode one. And as the crew has evolved into a extremely sincere, you could argue even overly earnest and sincere set of personalities, my cynical brain writes it up as they saw Tilly was going to leave and we need to replace that conscience with Every single character on the show. That's the only way that we could replace it. And if that's the thought, I'm not down with that. I don't think you yeah. can replace Tilly with everyone acting like Tilly. Tilly was a unique property on this show and on Star Trek in general. And one of my favorite characters. And I don't like how little she had to do over the last couple of seasons especially. But I, I really appreciated her presence and I'm going to miss her... In her absence, very much. And Tonight
2: we stand a queen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at with it. It's it's hard to think about the episode without thinking about that moment, and that's really where I'm preoccupied. Is just like totally the why and the how the Tilly thing happened. Yeah, man. I'm with you on that.
2: Uh, I I hope that uh, I hope that she keeps paying us visits in the in future episodes, at the very least.
1: Yeah, I mean, no one's going to want to use Tilly's old pillow. It's just totally crusted with drool. (laughs) You want to shoot that one out, out the the cargo bay, and then fire your torpedoes at it.
2: Kind of have to get Ensign Hazmat in there to (laughs) to deal with it.
1: Yeah, another job for him. (laughs) Well, one job for us is the reading of Priority One messages, Ben. Why don't we get over there and... uh, I mean, I'm not saying we should shoot them with photon torpedoes. I'm saying we should read them. Oh, yeah, that's a good way to deal with them.
0: <laughs> Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel.
2: Adam, we've got a couple of Priority One messages here. The first one is from Colin, and it's to Laura. It goes like this. Since no P1 would air on your birthday, I decided to order this celebratory message on your birthday. That way, if it's not a failure of celebrations... It's a very smart surprise Very smart you're the best pod friend I could have and I hope the day was great However long ago it was LLAP. Yeah,
1: that's the move right you retroactively make clear Your thoughtfulness.
2: Yeah, (laughs) this this wasn't a belated birthday present. It was a it was
1: it happened on the day day and date perfect perfect strategy by Colin Yeah I don't think Laura is going to have a single problem with this at all.
2: No. Laura is going to appreciate this, and Colin will be celebrated
1: as the good friend that they are. (laughs) 100%. Ben, our second Priority One message is from Astrometrics USS Branson, NCC 94957. It is to Jorge, Phil, Will, and Liz. The message goes like this. Greetings, Ben and Adam. Love the pod. Happy to throw some scarves to you. Thank you. Thanks to Jorge for turning me on to the show. And shout out to Phil for being my personal Edward Larkin of all Halloweens everywhere. (laughs) We tricked him into dressing as the boy. Wesley. The boy. The boy. Young Wesley Crusher.
0: My son.
1: For our group costume. And despite his hatred of the character... He was a great sport.
2: Wow! Well, <laughs> I don't know if I can get down with somebody that hates the character of the boy, but uh,
1: which costume are we talking about here for the boy? Also,
2: yeah, yeah. Which sweater? <laughs> yeah.
1: What's great about uh, about costumes for the boy is he could he uh, could wear that garment in a couple of different seasons. Yeah, you sure wanted. can.
2: Wow. Well, if you'd like to get a priority one message, it would be a fun thing for your friends or loved ones and a great thing for us to support this show. We've got, it looks like, uh, quite a bit of availability going forward, so uh, we would super appreciate it. Head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron.
1: You can't predict where the bombshells will fall on Greatest Discovery, so uh, get in there and maybe uh, do a P1 on a bombshell episode the way... The USS Branson and Colin did today. Yeah, indeed. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? Edward Larkin!
2: I don't see how I could give it to anybody but Tilly today. Uh, She gets a a comedic turn in this episode when she brings the the substitute kindergarten teacher energy Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. the... uh, to the training mission briefing at the beginning of the app, uh, which is, you know, like a thing that is really well established about her character. When she is sad or stressed, often she yeah. uses comedy to kind of soften the the blow of that and thought it was really funny. And if the, indeed, this is the end of the road for uh, this character as a, a main cast person on this show, which would make me super sad, uh, She's got to be my Edward Larkin.
1: Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go with you on this. I think it's right and appropriate to make Tilly the Edward Larkin here. I will say that if the intent is to create space for for other characters to embody Tilly's personality, many of the characters on this show can do the feelings part. Yeah. Not many other actors can have both gears, though. The Mary Wiseman ability to be sincere and also silly and funny yeah, is a yeah. unique property to her skill set. So I will miss that a great deal. And so, yeah, honorary Larkin for me as well. Well, Adam, uh, we do not have a title or capsule for uh, the next episode yet. They just sent it to me, Ben. Oh, good. It says, Adam and Ben of Greatest Discovery, stop asking for screeners. <laughs> you'll get them where you get them uh, wow. and that's the title of the next episode okay kind of a kind of a long one yeah that that's a mouthful yeah I, I kind of prefer the the Latin what's the <laughs> Latin version of what I just said
2: uh, six semper Tyrannus? right uh wow. Well, uh looking forward to watching that next week right here on The Greatest Discovery. In the meantime, why don't we uh send the people out with
0: some some credits? The Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun network. This episode was edited by me, Rob Adler. There's a couple different ways you can support The Greatest Discovery. First, it's always a big help if you can rate and review the show. Be sure to check out some of the new merch at podshop.biz. And if you're financially able, you can show your support by becoming a member at maximumfun.org join, which really makes a big difference. Thanks to Adam Ragusia who made our theme and interstitial music. Be sure to check out Adam's wildly popular YouTube channel where he can be found cooking food for his millions of subscribers. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Greatest Trek. Those accounts are of course run by the one and only car daddy, Bill Tilly. If you would like to connect with some of the other friends of DeSoto, check out the community on Discord at drunkshimoda.com or visit the Reddit community at r slash greatest gen. We hope you enjoyed today's show. We'll see you next week for another episode of The Greatest Discovery.